And our reading this morning, which will be shared by Jane Detweiler and Avery Walker, is from John O'Donohue's book, Bless the Space Between Us. And it is a blessing for citizenship. I'm Jane Detweiler, and it's my honor to be a mentor to Avery Walker in our Coming of Age program. In these times when anger is turned into anxiety and someone has stolen the horizons and the mountains, our small emperors on parade never expect our indifference to disturb their nakedness. They just keep their heads down and their eyes gleam with reflection from aluminum economic ground. The media wraps everything in a cellophane of, of sound and the ghost surface of the virtual overlays the breathing earth. The industry of distraction makes us forget that we live in a universe. We have become converts to the religion of stress and its deity of progress, that we may have the courage to turn aside from it all. And come to kneel down before the poor to discover what we must do, how to turn anxiety back into anger. How, how to, to find, find our, our own way home. So I, I came across a news article recently about something called election stress disorder. Have you, have you heard of it? <laughs> so uh, apparently, the American Psychological Association recently did a study in which they found that 52% of Americans found the upcoming election to be a significant source of stress in their lives. A really large percentage. That's 52%, which means people are walking around in this world carrying this additional source of stress. And there's a pretty good chance that many of you are experiencing this election as a significant source of stress. Now, some news sources claim that, this, that the APA has named this election stress disorder, though I have to admit, I could not find this name on their website. And I have to admit that I wonder, with 52% of people saying that this is a significant source of stress in their life, is it really a disorder? <laughs> I know that I most certainly am feeling this stress. It feels like at everywhere I turn, there is news of the presidential election. It's in my car when I turn on NPR. Whenever I open my Facebook, my feed is filled with news and articles of the election. On Thursday night, I was at the rock climbing gym just trying to get away for a few hours, and people next to me would not stop talking about Wednesday night's debate. I mean, is, is nothing sacred? <laughs> and, and yes, I'm aware that some of you might have even come to church today to hopes to get a break from this. And, and I hear that, and I'm, I'm sorry, so just bear with me. It just feels like it's, it's everywhere, and it's exhausting, right? 
Lynn Bufka, the American Psychological Association's Associate Executive Director for Policy and Research, said that election stress becomes exacerbated by arguments, stories, images, and video on social media that can heighten concern and frustration, particularly with thousands of comments that can range from factual to hostile or even inflammatory. And I think this all is just adding to how divisive this election can be. There's this us versus them mentality that really seems to pervade most discussions that I'm in about the election. And if you are thinking, gosh, if only those people understood how stressful this is for me, you might be surprised to learn that, according to this study, Democrats and Republicans are equally as likely to find this election to be a significant source of stress. Finally, something we can all agree on. But I think when people talk about the us versus them that is happening in elections, they sometimes miss the bigger picture. It's not just about Republicans versus Democrats or Trump supporters versus Clinton supporters, and yes, I'm aware that those groups are not necessarily the same thing, but about many divisions beyond that. People are divided within their parties. People are, the people who are voting for one of the two major candidates are wondering how people could throw away their votes on third-party candidates and put the result of the election in jeopardy. People voting for third-party candidates are wondering how people can throw away their votes on candidates who don't line up with their values. And everyone who knows who, are they, who they are voting for are wondering how on earth anyone could still be undecided in this election. And those who are undecided are wondering how anyone could have such clarity on something that matters as much as this. And those of us who are committed to voting are wondering how anyone can be so apathetic as to not vote at all. How do I love my neighbor? How do I love my neighbor indeed? It feels like people are just so angry at anyone who isn't doing exactly what they are, whatever that is. And the media and the echo chambers of our own social circles aren't helping. Furthermore, I think we, we think we might actually live in a bigger bubble than we do. You can't tell someone's political beliefs or who they're voting for just by looking at them. And you'd be surprised who you might disagree with. So this, my friends, is democracy. And in the words of Winston Churchill, no one pretends that democracy is perfect or all wise. Indeed, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government, except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. Well, we Unitarian Universalists have what you might call a special interest in democracy. In fact, it's in our principles, which you can find in the front of your gray hymnal. The fifth one states, the right to conscience and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and in society at large. And I have to be honest with you, I really hated this principle for a while. You see, in 2008, which was the same year that Obama was elected for the first time, I had the privilege of working on a political campaign for a ballot initiative in California. The Supreme Court in California had just legalized same-sex marriage. Opponents of this put a measure on the ballot that would write an amendment into the constitution of the state that said only marriage between a man and a woman is valid and recognized in California. This measure, which would become known as Proposition 8, 
was an extremely expensive campaign with over $70 million being poured into it from both sides all over the country. And in case you're wondering, I was working on the no side, the side that wanted to keep same-sex marriage legal in California. And it was actually through volunteering at my UU church that I ended up with this job. But it was a hard and difficult campaign to work for. The rights of a segment of the population were up for a vote. And I, I didn't believe that was right, and I still don't. In any case, the proposition passed. And the next day, California stopped issuing marriage licenses to same-sex couples. Because with a turnout of almost 80% of the California electorate, 52% voted against same-sex marriage. And for those of us who were working on the campaign, we were devastated. I remember walking into that campaign office the next day and everyone was crying. It didn't matter if you were LGBTQ or not, everyone who worked in that office was crying. They voted against us, I remember someone said. There's that us versus them talk again. Elections really bring that out. How can we love our neighbors in moments like this? Is it possible, possible to have compassion in moments like this? The next month, I was slated to teach a class for children at my church about our fifth principle, the one with democracy in it. A friend of mine from church said, how ironic for you following what just happened with Proposition 8. And in the end, I ended up backing out of doing it. I just didn't know how to say something positive about democracy when over half the state had voted to take away these rights. And so tell me how. How can we love our neighbors when sometimes we disagree with them so much? How can I love my neighbor if I feel like their beliefs are hurting me or hurting people I love? Do I have to concede that maybe they were right? Do I have to consider their opinion? But you see, I was, I was wrong about this principle. I was so focused on the democracy part that I forgot the first part of it, the right of conscience. The right to speak your mind, the right to say, hey, this isn't okay. I don't think we should be voting on people's rights. And that's where these two parts of the principle strike an important balance. Democracy means that everyone has a say in the process in electing our elected officials, but it also means that you get to speak your mind when you believe in something. It means for us that regardless of the outcome of this election, this church will continue to display our banner, proclaiming Black Lives Matter, because we are speaking our conscience. It means that regardless of how this election goes, there will still be work to do, work to do for our environment, work to do to fight sexism, work to fight Islamophobia. We will continue this work for causes we believe in because there will still be work to do. Okay, I hear you saying, but this isn't helping my election stress disorder. Okay, fair enough, so let's, let's go back and read some of the suggestions from the American Psychological Association's website regarding handling election stress. Here they are. Limit your media consumption. Read just enough to be informed. Two, avoid getting into discussions about the election with family, friends, and coworkers if you think they might escalate into conflict. Three, channel your concerns into making a positive difference on issues you care about 
consider volunteering in your local community, advocating for an issue you support, or joining a local group. Four, remember that our political system and the three branches of government mean that we can expect a significant degree of stability immediately after a major transition of government. And five, maybe most importantly, get out there and vote. Now these are, are helpful suggestions and I, and I hope you take them into consideration when caring for yourself during this election season. But I would humbly like to add another suggestion, compassion. Compassion for yourself and compassion for those whose viewpoints you don't understand. Let me give you an example. Have any of you seen the video of Canadians telling America it's great? It starts off with a shot of what seem to be everyday Canadians at their computers making videos saying things like, hey guys, we're just up here in Canada talking about how great you guys are down there. We just thought we'd send you a little bit of a love note. They go on to remind Americans that it has done amazing things like invent the internet, entertain them, and inspire them to activism. It's a funny little message from our neighbors up north and I have to say now would probably be a good time to remind you, if you don't know, that I'm Canadian. <laughs> and despite this video being about the United States of America, it's really a very Canadian video. They're just so darn polite about it. <laughs> you guys are really great. And the video ends. And as a Canadian, one who has chosen to make this country my home, I really can't deny the truth of what they're saying. I really do love this country. But then again, I should probably also remind you that I'm also an American. That's right, I hold dual citizenship from both countries. So while I was born and lived for the first 18 years of my life in Canada, I also retain the same civic privileges and responsibilities as many of you, which means I get to vote. So I have this interesting conundrum of being a both insider and an outsider in this election. Except, and I'm not really sure this is clear to most Americans, Canadians don't actually feel that much like outsiders in this process. Most of my conversations with my friends and family in Canada revolve around this election. And I can tell you that they are feeling similar anxieties and fears that people here are. And it's interesting too because growing up, Canadians certainly didn't have nice things to say about Americans. But the truth is, despite the shockingly high number of my American friends that proposed marriage to me during election years to try to get out of the country, <laughs> Canadians still feel very invested in what happens and they, feel, and they have even less control than we do. So it's interesting that in this moment of uncertainty, these Canadians chose to speak to Americans from this place of compassion. And here's the thing, I'm not sure how much this video actually helps Americans. For, from my admittedly small sample of friends, it's the Canadians who seem to really love this video. And I can tell you that I think it makes the Canadians in them feel just a little bit more at peace with this process that they have no control over. Because you see, compassion is something that we can feel in our bodies. 
When we have compassion for those we disagree with, when we have compassion for our neighbors, we can experience that sense of calm. So how do you love your neighbor with compassion? Loving your neighbor with compassion doesn't mean you don't get to be angry. It's okay to feel angry. It's okay to express that. It's okay to feel that someone else's viewpoint isn't okay. And it's your responsibility to direct your anger into product productive ways of handling that. If you are angry that black lives don't seem to matter, take action. If you are angry about income inequality, take action. And loving your neighbor with compassion doesn't mean that you don't get to say you disagree. But it means you can disagree with love. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do is tell someone why we disagree with them. Loving your neighbor also means not assuming you know how they're going to vote. Just because they live in Massachusetts or support LGBTQ rights or go to this church. Loving your neighbor means realizing that many, like many things about ourselves, our political identities are not readily visible and not always what people might assume. Loving your neighbor with compassion means listening to them with an open heart. It also means exercising your right to take a stand. Loving your neighbor means having the compassion to recognize the humanity we all share in this stressful time of the election. Let us remember there really is no us versus them. There is only us. This election has taken a toll on us all and it will continue to do so. It hits at issues that are at the very core of who we are as people and who we are as a country. So let us press practice compassion for ourselves and for each other and for this world. May it be so. And let us say together, amen. <laughs>